0: Having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill.
1: The
2: swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it.
0: South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill.
2: You're tuned to the Six O'Clock Swill with Tim Blair, yours truly Nick Cater, and our special guest, Bad Judith Sloan. This week, (laughs) as Labour's promised job summit shapes up to be the most anticipated event since the Sydney Olympics, we cast ahead to see what's in store for the opening ceremony. US President Joe Biden pays off American student loans, while Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese pays off his debt to the union movement. But both leaders remain clueless about reducing national borrowings. It makes a change in global warming up, Tim and Judith. Uh, Speaking of which, did either of you catch the concession on the ABC this week that Australia has turned pretty chilly? It's been very (laughs) cold, the story read. In July, Melbourne experienced its coldest winter day since 2016, barely topping out at one degree centigrade. Alice Springs, wait for it, froze through 12 mornings of below zero temperatures, the longest sub-zero streak on record. Even in warmer states like Queensland, that's where you are, Judith, and Western Australia, people were hit with frost and snow in the last few months. What do we make of that?
1: Unprecedented.
2: Unprecedented. Oh, yes. Global warming is not over yet. It's all in the forecasts, of course.
0: It always is. Yeah.
2: It's going to be a pretty toasty spring.
0: Well, that's never happened before. Yeah. That's unprecedented but as wait, well.
1: Isn't that why they don't call it global warming anymore? It's climate change you see
0: oh it's not even that anymore judith it's the climate crisis
1: Mm. oh yeah climate emergency climate crisis
0: climate catastrophe climate emergency but if you call it
1: climate change it can go up it can go down that's right you can stay the same sort of you're just always there
0: have we ever had two consecutive years where the weather has been (laughs) identical throughout all the seasons oh it's december 5 it must be 31.5 degrees celsius same as it was last year. Weather doesn't work like that. Some people might eventually work out that there are natural variables in weather that don't respond to human inputs.
2: But wait a minute, you can't ga- You can't not say this. It says minimum temperatures are likely to be above medium Australia-wide. Ju- Judith, you're a statistician. Above median temperatures. We seem to be getting a lot of those these days. Maybe for much as half of the time, I think, above medium temperatures. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, the median is to find that value above which 50% of observations occur and 50% below. So, yeah, I think that might be getting a bit mixed up there. I'm told, isn't it Ian Plymer who tells me, because frankly I'm really sick of the rain, Mm. that there were underwater volcanoes in Vanuatu, I think? and that's created this incredible moisture and so that explains why we've had so much rain but as tim says natural variations right now incapable of being influenced by whatever humans do
0: but we're all powerful judith
1: i think the broader issue though and nick and tim is this that there's still plenty of places in the world where they're still pressing on with absolute idiot policies even in the context. Of clear observations that the costs of what we're doing already are extremely high. So you just look at the UK, for example. So just today, Gem have announced that the price cap is going to go up by eighty percent. Eighty percent. We're looking at over three and a half thousand pounds, and we're not talking Buckingham Palace here. We're talking little three-bedroom up and down house. And they're going to be hit with that. And they're talking about that easily going to £5,000 next year. But then I go to the press and the guy, there's some guy saying, well, the solution is more renewables. And you think, excuse me, aren't we here because we've had more renewables? But no, we've got to have more, you
0: see. Here's a great example of what Jude's talking about. but This is from a Twitter account at a woke pub in the UK. The Yold Fleece Inn in Kendal. Now, a year or so ago, I think just one year ago, they tweeted in response to a television show from Sir David Attenborough, warning that we must act now. So ye old fleece in, in a bit of the old, good old-fashioned virtue signalling, posted, we must all do our bit. We are currently looking at how we can reduce our waste and energy use. What else can the hospitality industry do to help? Okay, so let's move it forward by a year. We're back at the old Fleece Inn, Kendall, in their uh, Twitter account. We have just been quoted £124,000 for our electricity bill from October. This is not sustainable for small business. What is the answer? might be in the question. Kids, you might have to go back to your previous Twitter postings to come up with a proper explanation of why you're paying £124,000 for a one-month electricity bill for a pub. Judith,
2: Judith, I I take it, so you don't like Chris Bowen's energy policy. What about Tony Burke's wages policy? Are you a bit warmer than that? He says that, first of all, the answer to inflation is higher wages. Secondly, the government can do that by setting the unions loose and making negotiating fairer again. I think that's what he's aiming at, isn't he? What do you think of that as a strategy for either beating inflation or raising wages, or both?
1: Insane. The truth of the matter is that the two most dangerous men in the Albanese government, bearing in mind Albanese doesn't really have a clue about policy. Can
0: you play the second who? (laughs) going
1: and her. he's paying off their paymaster right i get that mm. i get that mm. but seriously today he was quoted as saying that the gig economy is cancer
0: what
2: cancer yeah cancer. not getting an uber ever again too dangerous
1: and i guess if it's cancer he has to cut it out and the thing is if you go and look i think the gig economy is a really exciting development because what it does really is use technology to connect buyer and seller now what that does is cut out the middleman cut out you know firms are often just a form of intermediation i'm sorry to use a technical term but i think everyone can understand what that means i mean They're there to intermediate to get the buyers and the sellers to connect up. But this is really exciting stuff because you cut them out and there'll be more gains for both the buyer and the seller. So
0: I think think cancer is a
1: strong term.
0: I think you might have identified why Labor is against the gig economy because one of the intermediary bodies that they want to reintroduce are unions. And that's an entirely redundant aspect of trade when it's direct. If you are your own middle person, if you're not relying on a retailer to sell your goods, you're selling directly and so on. Well, you're also your own union representative in a way. Yes, but you represent yourself in whatever negotiations are going on between... You have agency. You have
2: agency. Judith, you say it's one of the most exciting developments we've seen but the people working in it everybody i've ever met who works in the gig economy says the same they may have to work hard and often you hear uber drivers grumble a little about that but they don't mind they don't have to work and a lot of them do it because they just want more flexibility in their lives or they want a part-time job and so forth and the same goes for Deliveroo and all the rest of it, right? It is actually working for students, working mothers, dads who want a second job, etc., etc. Yeah. even grandpas. You
1: know? Oh, well, I talk to them all because you know, I reckon you find out more about talking to them than you do talking to Tony yeah. Burke. Quite a lot of my Uber drivers have other jobs, permanent jobs. Yeah. And they say to me, well, this is great because I can fit this around. I can set my own hours. I like it, right? And California brought in this law AP5 or whatever it was to try and cut out the cancer of the gig economy. And then a whole lot of people like, all the consulting engineers said, oh, no, by the way, we like it. Oh, and the freelance journalists, oh, yeah, by the way, we like it. And in the end, they exempted everyone pretty much. And then Uber took a proposition to the, the electorate, dare I say, and uber basically won that too apart from the as you say the unions and some people sitting there in canberra they actually see a tremendous upside from the gig economy there is a little embarrassment too because andrew charlton the new member for Parramatta, he did some research when he mm-hmm. was back in the private sector <laughs> Which show that Uber drivers are very happy and actually in reasonable pay. No mm. doubt the opposition, mm. or let's hope the opposition brings that up. That's
0: weird about California, though, isn't it, Judith? That they're so down on the gig economy because that's basically been the Californian economy since the end of the since the end of the since the end of the studio system, when exactly. when you weren't contracted forever to say Paramount or MGM. The central industry, the most the industry that California is most known for, is all gigs.
2: They picked the wrong name i mean they should have come up with the equivalent of fossil fuel or something instead gigs i mean most of them have <laughs> fond memories of gigs but really do it. And, and, and of course here in australia do, do...
1: there are some really boring names on demand platform based employment or there are some boring but once gig economy got got into the lingo it's a
2: winner well, we've had the gig economy here since at least the 19th century what is sharing for example if not the gig economy and, and not only that but it's Peace work which is another thing the unions hate, and it seems to work quite well for the shearers, so we're all for it. To United States, uh, President Joe Biden announced on Wednesday that he will forgive student loans, loan debt above ten thousand dollars, making good on a promise during his campaign. It's part of a wider program to give assistance to the least vulnerable in the American community: kids from good homes who took out astronomical loans so they could party with their college mates for three years and walk away with the first-class honours in finger-painting. Do we think it's a good idea, Judith? It's this is something that would happen here. <laughs> the Greens want it to happen here.
1: Oh, absolutely terrible. I mean, just terrible, terrible. And for a number of reasons, actually. But it might be good politics, although, I don't know, you know, if... You know, I, I was reading some because I read the American press too. Those parents who like say, diligently saved up for their kids' college education, they're feeling mightily pissed. People who've actually paid off their fees, they are feeling pissed. So there are winners and losers. I'm not get money back. But, you know, here are the two uh, reasons so that, pay... which make it really bad. One is that it involves additional government debt at a time when you've got really high inflationary pressure. So, mm-hmm. It's a sort of, we had the Anti-Inflation Act, which of course wasn't, but now we've got a clearly pro-inflation act. The other thing is it it generates all sorts of perverse incentives. I don't know about finger painting, but it generates a perverse incentive to reward people who have done university, what we call university, or they are probably not always university standard degrees or diplomas there, that haven't paid off in the labour force, hence the outstanding debt. While well, actually, implicitly hurting those who've done good stuff and gone and done a vocational course and are out there earning and contributing. So it's terrible policy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You two probably better understand well, the politics of it.
2: You talked about the effect thrifty students and their parents who are going to be penalised for because they've made sacrifices to pay off the college fees in advance or to pay the loan off quickly. They're not happy. Like this dad in Iowa who worked two jobs so to help his kid go to college he was caught on camera asking democrat senator elizabeth warren for his money back let's see if we can play that clip
3: so you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money and those of us that did the right thing get screwed no, I'm sorry, of course we did my buddy had fun bought a car went on vacations. So i saved my money he made more than i did but I work a double ship, work extra, my daughter
1: works in his tent. So you're laughing. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. We did the right thing and we get screwed. I appreciate that.
0: Right. Right, now, I'd really like Elizabeth Moran to recant and decide not to forgive these loans, but then she'd be accused of being an Indian giver. So we can't have that.
2: <laughs> Best gag of the week, Tim. So Dad, Tim.
0: I am now the bad (laughs) Now, The other aspect of it is the sheer class war part of it, Judith, that I'm always big on this because everything at the moment seems to be going against the poor who were penalised disproportionately during all the lockdowns, who are getting bashed up over things like solar subsidies and EV subsidies. It's always them having to pay for rich people. Average wage earners pay for the ABC, which is basically an indulgence for teal voters who have so few problems or financial issues that they can afford to worry about what the weather will be like in 100 years. And now you've got people with $10,000 outstanding debts. Let's say it's two two graduates married, sharing a house. They can have a combined income of up to a quarter of a million dollars and still receive that money, which to me seems disgraceful. And, And getting away from the inflationary and the economic ills politically it seems wicked although it may shore up democrat votes among younger people not that they're inclined to vote against democrat anyway but it seems to also to open a bit of a window maybe for republicans to campaign on fairness and equity mm. because you can't really talk about equity and then give rich people a damn big break like that
1: i think it has implications here in australia and and it's also like the summit as well you know and you know i think piketty's generally a nutter but he ha- he did write a really interesting paper showing the sort of flip mm. in political allegiance and level mm. of education so the more educated now vote left mm-hmm. and when i say more educated
2: mm-hmm. i mean
0: indoctrinated
1: <laughs> they've been to the university
2: people who spent more time at university than others
1: yeah, yeah. Of course educated I think we need to reserve for people who actually know something, but, but the sort of the family business, the tradey, the people living in outer suburbs, regional areas and stuff, they're now more very much more inclined to vote for the right, for the centre right. Mm. I'm not sure our Liberal Party has quite cottoned on to that flip. I think mm. they think Definitely they can still not. hold those inner city seats.
0: Yep. Well, but by trying people.
1: to do that, what happens? I think they compromise their attractiveness to their na- their new now natural consist- constituents. Mm.
0: Absolutely, no. There is a shift on, but I'm definitely with your Judith on the fact that the Liberals have not caught that wave, mm-hmm. and I doubt with their current generation they really will. There's too many Matt Keens and uh, Simon Birmingham's holding up the process for that to really get much traction. I think, at least for now. We'll see.
2: more big news from the United States. Dr. Anthony Fauci announced he's stepping down as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and chief medical officer for oh, chief medical officer for the White House. He leaves a legacy of increased cancer and drug over-death deaths, a mental health crisis, financial <laughs> devastation, disruptions to education that left millions of kids behind, and a sense of arrogance that may never be surpassed in U.S. public administration. Senator Ron Paul took Fauci to task on this very issue in a Senate committee in January.
3: Dr. Fauci, the idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally to represent science is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. When the planner is a government official who rules by mandate... The errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? Senator, you are distorting everything about me. So your desire to take You're down people... incorrect. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny, you deny, right. but the emails tell the truth of this. No. You keep distorting did you? the truth. It is, it did is you stunning talk, how you do that. Did you talk that? to any of the scientists privately Yes. Who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, but What were they telling you privately? Well, not only are you distorting it, you were completely turning it around. As you were most you of the scientists knew. that came
2: to you privately? There you go, a pretty robust attack. Of course, he was bulletproof, is not he? I'm not even sure, even in that instant, that Rand Paul made any progress. Judith, how come? I can't think of another example of how a public servant, essentially, came to gain such power, not just in his own country, but amongst... His contemporaries in the rest of the world. How on earth did that?
1: I think actually, because I was saying at some point to someone that, look, he lasted four decades. And they said, no, no, he lasted five decades. <laughs> so he obviously has a skill set of which we're kind of slightly unaware, which is the ability to survive. Unbelievable. So one suggests he's quite a Machiavellian manipulative personality underneath it all. But I mean, the broader issue is this those public health officials. We never knew about, thank the Lord. The medical profession itself Mm. regarded them as a sort of low form of plant life. You went into (laughs) public health if you couldn't get into anything else, right? Mm. And then all of a sudden they were brought out of the back room and they really, the power went to their head. But I don't know if you've been following this one, Nick. This is a disgrace. So doctors who have publicly stated their opposition... Or indeed, just their doubt over COVID vaccinations mm. are being deregistered by the health practitioner body, the AHPRA. I mean, without basically any hearing or anything, just because, just because, right? Yeah. Now, mm. believe mm. me, doctors can kill people and not be deregistered. But if you would express an opinion that queries COVID vaccinations, people are having their registration and their livelihood cancelled. Unbelievable. I can't believe there hasn't been more fuss about that.
0: I think part of it, Judith, is that there is a cult of science as well as just a thing called science. And the cult has almost got religious aspects to it. And I think Fauci at one point said that people are attacking him because he represents the science. You always know you're among the co-religionists when they add the the to science. I preferred uh, Ron DeSantis' line on Fauci during the week. He said, I'm just sick of seeing him. I know he says he's going to retire. Someone needs to grab that little elf and chuck him across the Potomac. <laughs> At which point, he's a five, five <laughs> sevens. People, of course, on the left who've been calling for... Trump and various other Republicans to be slaughtered for four or five years, they suddenly took this obvious flight of fancy from Ron DeSantis very seriously and said it was a death threat. At which point, for example, my friend Jim Treacher in Indiana, a beautiful writer, he said, "Well, let's just investigate how we would chuck him across the Potomac, and maybe use a trebuchet or some kind of catapult." And, but. See, the Potomac, as you know, is a, it's a very wide body of water. So I think it is. its average width is something like 13,000, 1,300 feet. I can't recall, but it's not a narrow river. Mm. Mm. I don't think many trebuchets are going to chuck someone. I think, let's say he weighs 70 kilos. He, he keeps yourself fairly fit. Getting that mass across that distance, that's going to be difficult. we'll leave the complexities of the landing aside, he might not be coming out this too well. But how about, Judith, a system of platforms with trampolines and he can kind of
1: Hmm.
0: bounce across the Potomac. He'd lose a certain amount of, well, body parts, but he'd also, he'd lose momentum as the procedure went on so maybe they could be, I don't know, the trampolines could be assisted in some way with, I don't know, a, a minor base of explosives. He, but we can get him across the perspective. If that's the mission, if that's our moonshot, I say, America, go for it.
2: <laughs> he did become vastly politicised, didn't he? And I, well, the yes. question I've got is, how come the Democrats, or the left really, is so much worse at managing COVID than the right? Here's my many more people have caught COVID and died with COVID in the United States under Biden than did Trump. And wait for mm-hmm. it. Do you know, if you care to look at the figures here, so there were just under 8,000 COVID deaths under three years of Liberal government. 8,000, mm-hmm. not a great record. Mm. It, but in just three months of Labour, there have been 5,500 deaths. I
0: did not so know this.
2: they're catching up fast. We're going to get to a point soon where deaths under albanese if this trend keeps going going to overtake those under the dreadful 10 ministry holding prime minister mr mr scott morrison it's not a great record because nobody cares now it's like america nobody much cared once trump wasn't there. no they don't nobody really they wanted to blame the Mm. thing
0: about uh, morrison was oh you know you didn't get the vaccines early enough or in large enough numbers and that's why we had these high death rates well how are they explaining it now When we're awash in stupid vaccines, I've got friends who are half vaccine, half people.
1: But isn't the broader and I think more worrying point, particularly when anyone starts talking about the science, it's rubbish, right? Um, It means they're out of arguments, actually. But there's a sort of common pattern here in this authoritarian streak. So we see it with COVID management. But we also see it with climate change. And there was a report out during the week by that appalling old tosser, Robin Batterham, who was the chief scientist, mm-hmm. combining with the Naus group, telling us how, you know, we're going to have solar panels over seven times the area of Tasmania. And we all have to change our way. of. I don't remember being consulted about changing my way of life, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. but that's okay because the science is telling us that we have to be made to change our way of life Mm. i think it's really scary
2: no it's absolutely right government policy driven by what people claim to be the science rather than government policy driven by pragmatism and trade-offs and all the other things you'd have to do to make good government policy and individual
1: responsibility individual decision making
0: damn straight no boosters for me that's for sure i've had taken two shots so i'm not going any further with this madness i'm certainly not having the 20 seconds <laughs> <laughs> A line in the sand nick
2: tim yasmin abdul Mageed. yasmin i think the only way of saying it is after that town near uh Near Canberra, Yasmin Abdulmagh has revealed she fantasizes about ditching her Australian citizenship and blasted the nation's blood-drenched soil. She Miss Abdulwagid, 31, fled the country in twenty seventeen after sparking fury on TV and social media with her views attacking Australia and promoting Muslim Sharia law. Sadly, Abdulmagid was unable to join us on the swell, but producer Laura Thomas has stepped in to read a short extract from her forthcoming book.
3: I had swum into cool calm waters, trustingly and willingly, only to be taken to slaughter. I fantasise about giving up my Australian passport. My dreams are filled with warm golden hues, the imagined release of renunciation the moment I hand in my papers and walk away. Away from the country responsible for trauma that still wakes me up in sweats. Away from the false promises of fairness and equality I had so wholeheartedly bought into, if I hand in the little blue book, I think, I will at last be free. Maybe if I walk away, I can breathe again.
2: Any sympathy
0: for her? She seems to be suffering a bit there. Huge sympathy. She's been slaughtered and she can't breathe. The woman has... And she's got the night sweat. She's got serious health difficulties. (laughs) There's something going seriously wrong. I think just on a basically, on a human level. She's got some sort of very grave health issue. She's been slaughtered like a common dolphin. She can't breathe. Now That's either an obstruction issue or some kind of, well, if she's a dolphin, it's a blowhole problem. (laughs) And she wakes up with the night sweats, which is, even in the summer in the UK, is a bit of a challenge. But she wouldn't want to keep up that level of heating in the house. In the coming winter because she'll go broke what with the doubling and trebling of electricity prices in the uk so i think on a basically human level we must appreciate the challenges that she faces
2: a human level tim did you say i thought she was identifying as a dolphin surely this is a job for the vet isn't it to sort out i would have thought
0: (laughs) well on a mammalian level (laughs) an aquatic mammal Mm. kind of we're close to the dolphins they they've got a a basic system of speech it might be more advanced than hers but i love this one when she's talking about her current life being only possible because australia welcomed her family when they escaped the civil war torn sudanese capital (laughs) of khartoum in 1992. i am grateful sure she writes but to my parents not to the system And that gratitude exists alongside an an understanding that my privilege sprouts from blood-drenched soil in so-called Australia. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was its actual name. But blood-drenched soil in so-called Australia. She came from Sudan during a civil war. Two million people died in that war and our soil is blood-drenched? Seriously?
2: She She does have joints. Australian-Sudanese citizenship through her parents who fled that dreadful civil war to find safety and peace. Obviously, she didn't find quite the safety and peace that they did. But so she could. I don't know why she's merely fantasizing about giving up her Australian partnership. She could. She wouldn't be stateless. But she's realized apparently that the Sudanese passport is rubbish. One of the most useless documents in the world, along with that book of Swiss Navy victories and things like that. It's just not worth anything. <laughs>
0: What about the writing, though, just the, on a literary level? She says she wants to unbelong to Australia, which is a cute invention. Is unbelonging a rejection, she writes? I can understand how it feels that way. I see it in the flickers of betrayal behind the eyes of fellow Australians who ask, When I am coming back? Hear it in the pitch of their voices, the sudden slips of their smiles. She might be reading a lot into those gestures and movements and sounds because. Other reasonable people might interpret them as indications of alarm that she actually is one day going to return. She like, like She's looking at these people, are you coming back? And they're not, suddenly not smiling. I would think then there's maybe a bit of tension there that they maybe don't yeah, want her to yeah. come back.
2: And my privilege sprouts from blood-drenched soil. There's a bit of a mixed metaphor going on there. My privilege sprouts from blood-drenched soil in so-called Australia she says. So-called Australia. I'd no idea had another possible name, but maybe I've missed something. Maybe this is something in the new woke narrative, Tim, we're supposed to be calling Aotaroa. Maybe. Or the big country near Aotaroa, or whatever that happens to be in
0: Kiwi. What about this line, which this is one of the incredible things about this. It makes Lisa Wilkinson's work look like calm, reflective, dispassionate <laughs> analysis. All ego removed, all traces of narcissism excised. Just try to work out what she's talking about here. In these moments, I feel compelled to apologise, equivocate or subtly turn away from their naked displays of vulnerability. What the <laughs> hell is that about? So-called Nick Cater, you know, words. What, even the sequence.
2: I started the Duolingo course in woke, but I didn't get very far. I just got so totally bamboozled with it. I took up uh, Mandarin Chinese instead. It's easier. But the words are similar, but they have an entirely different meaning. I mean, at least if you're studying a language like, say, French or Italian or German, you can guess afterwards. Not in woke. I mean, whatever you think it means, it means precisely the opposite. And if you get that wrong, you cancelled. That's it. You're out. You're out. But um,
0: yeah, I think in Yaz's case it means don't buy this stupid book
2: <laughs> I think she's sort of harsh on herself really She calls herself the most publicly hated Muslim we, I mean I don't think she's a subject of hate She's just a subject of She's just an object of, to entertain and amuse us with her ridiculous comments We'd love to have her back wouldn't we? Would We would I don't know whether Sudanese passport's accepted here
0: Well she has dropped in occasionally She has just dropped in On the odd occasion, she can plainly cope with maybe a brief visit before the night sweats become overwhelming and she's almost drowned. But here's a non sort of Australia aspect to it that was fascinating in this Daily Mail piece that she moved to the UK, where she has since met and married her British husband after spending six months hammering out a marriage contract. It's
2: probably not so nutty after all, Tim. I know people that have spent six years hand- hammering out a divorce contract. Maybe it is better to get these things over up front, but it does seem rather long wild,
0: doesn't it? I wonder what the sticking point was. Was it that there was a requirement that her husband had to read the book or something like that? Was it something that was a definite deal-breaker? Or that they weren't allowed to sound Australian? Yes,
2: yes, that's right. They weren't allowed to sound so-called Australian, Tim. But Sorry, yeah. yeah let's I'm... not go into the whatever contract was drawn up there and the restrictions or otherwise or demands that were placed on Mr. Magid to be was he I don't know I know of course she would have taken no she wouldn't have taken his name of course naturally but anyway
0: well she's Yasmin
2: Yasmin but anyway I'm looking forward to reading the book what about you I think there'll be from the t- from the sound of it there'll be plenty to
0: amuse <laughs> in that one I think I've read <laughs> enough of it just in that brief newspaper really? article I think we, I'm done for Yasmin this year. A little Yasmin goes a hell of a long way, doesn't it?
2: Tim, you went into print this week to what I can only... I don't mean to be critical, it's a rather jaundiced and sceptical view of the Energy Minister. Really? Yeah, I think so. The Energy Minister, Chris Bones, excellent plan to change our car buying habits. As you know, we discussed this last week. He points out that 98% of Australians, that's one in every, 49 in every 50 Australians, as foolishly bought the wrong car. We bought cars powered by petrol and diesel, and we should, of course, have bought electric cars. So he's going to
0: make us buy them. You pointed out, I think, some of the hurdles towards that. He's um, talking about getting rid of these allegedly filthy vehicles that are dumped on us from other markets. That they're not able to be sold elsewhere because it's just so vile mm. and polluting, which is ridiculous. These cars meet fairly high anti-pollution standards. We've had anti-pollution rules since the mid-70s. I think the very first one was, and this is an indicator of what kind of a tragic petrolhead I am, but it was called Australian Design Rule 27A. And I'm that's just from memory. Everyone who was into cars in the mid seventies, knows that letter and number combination because we cursed it, and it did a lot to ruin the next five or six years worth of vehicles in Australia. Mm. Now we've got even tighter restrictions, but the manufacturers have become cleverer. They've 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 designed more efficient vehicles, more efficient engines that, at the same time as delivering massively less in terms of pollution, generate considerably more in terms of power, and are also far more economical. So whatever Bowen's on, I don't know what, uh, what he's paying, paying for it, but he's talking a lot of crap. And everything he's talking about as well, about expanding the choice in the market, it's the opposite of what he wants to do. He wants to compress the amount of choice and force you, push you towards an electric vehicle. I think he used, he used this hilarious line about how Australians go to car dealerships And they're looking around for the EV of their dreams. And then they, damn it, they reluctantly, reluctantly was the word Chris Bowen used, settle for a horrible old petrol car. (laughs) They drive away in tears in their Hilux or their Ford Ranger, just sobbing inwardly that they couldn't get an EV. Damn it. I'm
2: sobbing quietly to myself every time I step into the driving seat of that COK. I really am. I just wish I Oh,
0: yeah, me too. I've got a horrible beam on BMW that just... Fills me with both yeah, shame. Yeah, you'd be like me
2: every time you zoom past a Nissan Leaf, you just feel guilty, don't you? And you just think, well, I wish I had one of those. I wish I did. But the the you, I think you you made a good point earlier that how are we going to how are these quotas going to work? We need to know this in this new command economy that Boeing is about to introduce. So, for instance, by twenty thirty, we're told that only eleven percent of cars sold will be. Petrol, and presumably they'll be coming to that quota by degrees. So maybe by, yeah, you know, maybe in two years' time, only seventy percent of cars can be petrol. But what happens? Do you go? Do you have to get to the dealer early in the year because you get there and you say, "I'll have the, I'll have the, I'll have the Audi A6, thank you." And they say, "Sorry, sir, we're out of all petrol cars. We've got we're out of our quota for the year. You're going to have to have the Nissan Leaf, or we've got this lovely little new." It's a bit like a it's a a bit like a high under I-30, but it keeps conking out because it runs out of power, that sort of thing. Is that what's going to happen?
0: How's it going to work in California, where they've gone Chris Bowen to the max with their latest proposal? And that's for no petrol or diesel-powered cars at all, I think, by 2035. Which is, that's easy enough to enforce when it's 100%, because they'll be the only cars, new cars, that'll be allowed to be sold. Easy to enforce. But up to that point, say by 2025, I think it's 31% of cars sold in California must be electric. Now, isn't that more dependent on what people buy? How are they going to compel people to buy to make sure they get to 31%? And then it goes up to 58%, then to 63%. Just to give you an idea of scale here, In a good pre-COVID year, one million cars, new cars and other vehicles were sold in Australia. The equivalent years in California, you're up around two million cars. So we're talking hundreds of thousands and eventually up to millions of electric cars. Here's another issue. California is is out of energy now. It is running out of electricity. They're talking about blackouts for the next mm. three summers mm. because they've stretched everything and they're about to close one of their biggest <laughs> nuclear plants in 2025. How does any of this make, make sense? I mean, they
2: can't even get electricity now, do we? I mean, this is going to lead to a massive rise in mental illness for a start in the twin mm. evils of charger rage and range anxiety, the two things that spread. Oh yeah, There's a new incident of charger rage in California as it happens. <laughs> Caught on camera. Because Here's the audio. Waiting
3: for 30 minutes is my turn. I came around to no, take no, the spot. No, you you you're you're f- liar! I've been waiting here the whole time. That guy took the car, the car long time. Where did you find your car? I've been waiting right there. I came around after this one opened up. <laughs> yeah, I came. I, I looked at you're everybody. Gonna, gonna give a sheet. I got the. Fist! Hi. He came over and he pounded on a fist on my car. That's unacceptable. A lot of people are doing that. No, hey, that was, wasn't... It came on your car! you you're gonna, you're you f***ing oh, down. He's going to get
1: his...
3: listen. No. No. I, no. You want to hit me? Enough. No. Enough.
2: No. He, he lost it, it didn't he? I, I love the uh, the sort of passive aggressive recipient of this one, Tim, who <laughs> was just quietly trying to go... <laughs> yeah. It's okay, just stay zen, stay zen.
0: Didn't... <laughs> Yeah, don't have a heart attack, old dude.
2: So, yeah, there are these practical problems. But, of course, socialism, scientific socialism does find a way of overcoming these. You'd remember, of course, uh, Eric Honecker's East Germany. The the government simply decreed that 100% of cars sold will be Trabant's, and they enforced that for about, what, 30 years or something.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And weren't those beautiful, non-polluting avatars of environmentalism, weren't they sweet little... (laughs) <laughs> oxygen generating love wagons they were hideous by the way there were clips of the i think they were two strokes
2: yeah they were two strokes i checked the specs on it this week it went from naught to 100 in 60 seconds <laughs> and, <laughs> and wait a minute 100 was its top speed so it achieved its maximum speed yeah. Whereas I noticed the new McLaren car they've got on the road, you know the number, you follow all this Formula 1 racing car. Top speed, 324 kilometres. And am I right you follow this stuff? They're putting a 21-year-old behind one of these things on the track. Is that right? He's going to take over from Ricardo or something. And,
0: uh... Oh, no, they've been younger than that. We've had teenage winners in Formula 1 in the last four or five years. It's, it's extraordinary.
2: How the hell do they get the insurance for them? It's bad enough trying to insure
0: a, a teenager on a Nissan Leaf. Th- these kids, they're actually kind of phenomenal. They begin in go-karts before they can walk. By the time they've reached Formula 1, they've gone through lower formulae.
2: They start on infant formula, presumably, do they, and work up from that?
0: They do, they do. By the time they're um, 18, they're veterans. They've basically spent half their life about above 160 kilometres an hour. It's extraordinary. They're basically freaks. And by the way, I was just thinking, with that zero to one hundred kilometre an hour time of sixty seconds, your Mercedes could reach one hundred kilometres an hour faster than that if you just pushed it off the side of a building, (laughs) just as a dead weight. It would be faster to one hundred k's an hour. Jeez, I wouldn't want to see the panel beaters' face. And it would still be a better car, (laughs) even after impact. It would still be a superior (laughs) buy. I'm just going to look up I think there was also there might have been an even lesser option than the Trabant but I'm not sure what country it was from here we go, no it's East German here we go, the Wartburg (laughs) and The (laughs) the name indicates I think both the styling and quality of the vehicle Wartburgs were a three-cylinder, two-stroke-powered vehicle with only seven major moving parts, (laughs) not including the people behind it pushing the Wartburg. So
2: that's four wheels.
0: It had four wheels.
2: Three other moving
0: parts. Yeah. Three pistons, three connecting rods, one crankshaft, and so the engine was very simple as two-strokes tend to be. It's one of their great qualities. The, the mark date, dates back to 1898, when a car made by Automobilwerk wielwerk Eisenach was named the Wörterbergenwagen. It consisted of a two-seater, two-seating cane chair, four mudguards, two headlamps, and a two-cylinder engine. Its top speed was 25 miles per hour. <laughs> and then it was uh, revived in the 50s. And exports to West Germany began in 1958. That would have been popular, wouldn't it? Taking on Audi, BMW, Mercedes. Step up to my Vortzburg. And it might have not have done too well there, but they may have done better when they began exporting them to Cyprus. That might have yeah. been a more receptive Well, market. of course
2: we did. I remember in the UK, particularly about Australia, but we did receive cars from behind the Iron Curtain. The most least bad being the Skoda, I seem to remember, because... It was built in a factory in Prague, which had been building fantastic cars before World War One. Yes. Uh, so it had a bit of engineering history. But they rusted. They rusted something terribly. They had a bit. Of, it, people who say, "How do you double the value of your Skoda?"
0: Fill it mm. up with petrol.
2: <laughs> <laughs> why, why do Skodas have heated rear windows?
0: So your hands don't freeze. <laughs> That's right. when you're pushing them. Those East German cars that appeared in the UK and elsewhere, did they just escape? (laughs) Did they achieve autonomy? And, you know, they got through the wall and it's like, at last, I'm among the free. I can breathe again. Well, it's interesting.
2: I don't think the Skoda appeared until 1968. So you've got it. It was obviously fleeing the tanks from Prague from the Russian invasion. Tim, thank you for joining us again, as usual, on The Swill. Don't forget you can email us at, at au. Don't forget your duty is to give us five stars on every podcast provider that you can get your hands on. And tune in again next week for the 6 O'Clock Swill.
3: Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way.
2: Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family.
1: But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come.
3: How good is Australia?